Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of It's Personal. On this episode, we have Cornelius Minor, Brooklyn-based educator, family man, comic book lover, Wu Tang forever, skateboarder, teacher's college reading and writing project developer. Let's get it started. It's about to get personal. 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 Just got personal. Gary and I just got personal. It's personal. My name is Derek Bourne. My name is Cornelius Minor. My name is Val Brown. This is Nick Hi, I'm Donald Miller. All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of It's Personal. And I am, I, I say this all the time. Every episode that I've done so far, I say that I'm super excited. And I think I should be. Like, every every person that I I asked to come on I am genuinely super excited about and I have specifically chosen that person for a reason. Um, this individual has kind of started me on this journey that I have of like being culturally responsive, talking about social justice in the classroom. I remember when I first messaged him a, lot, a while ago, maybe a year ago or so, um, he right away said, let's talk. And I was like, what do you mean let's talk? And he said, well, I'll just call you or we'll just message on Hangouts. And I was like almost surprised because I knew who he was and his experience. Um, so I'm just, again, super excited to have a conversation with this gentleman today. Can you just tell everyone who you are? Hey, what's going on? Like, um, thank you for having me on the podcast, Gary. This is incredible. I'm so, so excited. Um, my name is Cornelius Minor. I am a Brooklyn-based educator, taught seventh grade um, in Brooklyn's Mighty Mighty District 15. Um, so I'm a New York City guy, but for the last few years, I have been at the Teachers College Reading and Writing Project at Columbia University. Um, and there I am responsible for supporting schools all over the world. I develop middle school literacy curriculum and work with an incredible team of people to make sure that kids all over the planet do incredible literacy stuff. So that's really um, me. Cornelius yeah. is like, yeah. I don't even know, like your titles, I, I think father, educator, author storyteller influencer like everything you can possibly you know you know and i think gary the thing that i enjoy the most is all of that stuff makes us human you know uh -huh. that 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 um you know the human experience is really to to be in this world and to experience it as fully as we can and and the experience of a teacher is to not just be in the world, but then to extend those opportunities to not just the children that we meet, but to all the people that we meet. And so I think all of those titles really fall under one umbrella of educator, man. It don't stop at three. No, I agree. Really I agree. <laughs> they always talk about like how educators have all these different hats. Um, and yeah, I think that's kind of the case with you a lot because I'm constantly like I have my notifications on. So when you're posting something, I'm watching it and you do a good balance of like, really hitting home the educational aspects, things we should be talking about, things that have us thinking. But on top of that, like you share insights about like your family and um, being a father and like the fun, like quirky things that are happening. And I truly, I appreciate that, like for someone who's like from so far away because it makes things so real. You know, and I think all of the people that I have, you know, studied and all of the people that I admire you know, we're similarly real. You know, right now I'm reading um, the, the new biography of Frederick Douglass. And if you mm -hmm. haven't touched that, that's an amazing biography to read, Dave mm -hmm. um, Weiss biography. And, um, and it's incredible because one of the things that I'm learning is that, you know, we, we know Frederick Douglass from all of his work as an abolitionist. We know him from his work in politics, 
but very rarely do we see people as fully human. You know, and I think it's important to look at the people that we admire, to look at the people that we study, to look at the people that we pattern our lives after, and that we don't just see their accomplishments or that we don't just see their insights, but that we see their full humanity. Mm -hmm. um, because to, to rob people of that dimension, I think is to flatten people into caricature or stereotype. And so as I do my work, one of the things that I realize is that I'm a teacher and that there are 11 and 12 and 13 year olds looking to me um, to figure out not just how do I read and write, but to figure out how do I move throughout world how do i live and mm -hmm. so to show up and only be mr reading mr writing is really robbing them of access to an opportunity that they can have to learn and so mm -hmm. in all of my writing in all of my social media in all of my interactions with young people and now with teachers um i really do try to be like fully human so you're going to get like the skateboard side of mr minor you're going to get the english teacher side of mr minor you're going to be like oh snap i forgot to buy the milk for the cereal side of mm -hmm. mr minor uh -huh. so and i think that's really really important you you know, because when when some 12 year old is setting up their life and they're like, yo, I had this teacher and he forgot the milk for his daughter's <laughs> their cereal, um, you know, but then he was able to forgive himself and, mm -hmm. and like keep it moving, you know, that that one little setback didn't crash his day mm -hmm. um, so that I can now move through life and one little setback won't crash my day. Mm -hmm. You know, I think so many times as teachers, you know, we, we get up in arms, oh, you forgot your pencil and now we mm -hmm. got to go to war. Mm -hmm. For what? <laughs> you yeah, know? exactly. And I think, um, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, for what? And so I I get really excited that you know to, to show people that yeah like my humanity isn't just based on my scholarship yeah you know, that is um, not my humanity like my humanity is not what i teach but my humanity is like um you know all of me the things that i love the things that i do the things that i build and the mistakes that i make mm -hmm. so. i love that and it's just i think being as real as possible you don't have to as an educator you don't have to go in pretending that life is perfect or you have everything all um everything's not all rosy and set up the way you want to be all the time. And I think showing students exactly that makes a huge difference. Yeah. A huge difference. You know, and I think I'm real lucky, you know, I came up in the eighties, you know, so I came like, I'm a hip hop guy, you know, and I think that, you know, that was my template for communication. And so really learning how to communicate um, both like the glamor and the glitz, um, the gilded, you know, the golden, to be able to really think about how do I, you know, speak across like borders you know i think those of us who came up in the 80s listening to hip-hop i think a lot of us are border crossers because mm -hmm. like we were the generation that pushed the music out of new york and into the into the world mm -hmm. you know and so i think that that's a huge part of who i am mm -hmm. that when i think about like my scholarship and when i think about the work that i do in classrooms yeah it's all about border crossing and so and that means that I can't just be in one lane. That means that I've got to be able to take the message out of the classroom, you know, into the neighborhood, back out of the neighborhood, into the church, into the like, you know, my parents' living rooms, you know, and I think that that's really important. Yeah. But as I'm thinking, as soon as I hear, I'm hearing all these things and I'm having tons of questions there in my head right now. What what does your childhood look like? Oh man, I had like the best childhood ever. You know, like <laughs> my parents are, are, I mean, I think anybody would say this, but my parents are incredible. Um, I am originally from Liberia, a small country off the coast of West Africa. So, um, so I'm not American, um, and 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 nor am I, um, you know, am I African American? You know, like I'm American now. I became a U.S. citizen two years ago, actually. So I'm American now. But you know that my parents have always been really clear with me about who I am. I am uniquely, you know, Cornelius, but you know, I'm I'm Liberian, and I'm Liberian raised in the American context. You know, I came to the United States in elementary school 
um, at, shortly after the start of the Liberian Civil War, um, and my parents left the country. But to be Liberian, I mean, Liberia is a really interesting place. Like, um, it was, um, if you if you study kind of the popular history, it was founded by freed American slaves. So people um, who were formerly enslaved people in the United States who really resisted this notion that I need to stay in the United States that doesn't love me. And so people like got on boats and went back to Africa. You know, it's a really complicated story um, and, and it deserves way more nuance than I'm giving it here. But basically many people who ended up on the continent, specifically in the country of Liberia, were people who had roots in the United States. Um, and so that's part of my family. Um, mm -hmm. and. And, 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 you know, and I was raised there with parents who were very literate, fiercely literate. My grandmother was one of the great teachers in my country. Wow. So I come from a family of educators, you know, that, and that was a really important legacy. And so when we got here, education was a thing, um, but also having fun was a thing, you know? And mm -hmm. so um, right away, I was the kind of kid, I was always into to nerd stuff, you know? So I, I skateboarded, I played Dungeons and Dragons. I listened to every rap album that came out, you know? So mm -hmm. like, I was that kid, you know? By the time I was in high school, um, people would come to my house because like I had all the tapes, you know? Mm -hmm. So from, Run DMC to NWA to Tribe Call Quest to De La Soul to Wu Tang to Ice Cube everything you know and so like I was known for that and I would study whole albums um, you know and 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 I didn't even know that like here I am studying albums you know that's text analysis you know and then mm -hmm. I would play like fierce games of Dungeons and Dragons you know I didn't know that that was writing and content creation mm -hmm. you know then I would like you know jump on the Nintendo and I would like play I remember. Um, as a middle school student, my friends and I, we like hooked up these like modems to our Sega Genesis and we had a, like a network Sega Genesis and we'd have these Street Fighter tournaments. And, you know, and this was before online gaming. So, you know, I was mm -hmm. that kind of nerd. Mm -hmm. um, and so my childhood was just full of like asking questions and trying new things and consuming the culture, you know, in big ways. That's who I still am. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm out here in the culture, but also trying my best to contribute to it. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's crazy, like listening to your story and then knowing, I feel like I know, I'm not a ton, but enough about you that your story has definitely influenced the reason why you do exactly what you do. Like that story exactly. alone about exactly. saying how you are, you forget that all those childhood experiences and doing those things are different ways of like educating yeah. yourself. That is exactly yeah. what I hear in your voice every single day when I'm reading a tweet or looking at your books. Um, and we're gonna hop right into the thing about your book because if you haven't gotten this book, I don't know where you have been, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but this book has been, for me, it's one of those, it's very, it's like eye-opening at the same time. It's like hits home so many different things that you almost forget about. Um, you don't see as often um, educators talking about. And the thing that I love them, like for me, because I'm such a visual person, the resources and just the way it's laid out because um, it's laid out like a comic book like and yeah. the images and the resources are so clear um and precise that you can literally take it and use it like right away um yeah, thank you so much yeah no yeah, it's, i mean honestly 
it was an exciting project to work on. You know, I worked on it with my friend Jamal Eigel. Um, Jamal is an incredible um, comic book artist. Um, he is an incredible artist, period. Jamal um, is a longtime industry veteran. You know, he's most popular for some of his work on Supergirl. Um, you know, he's worked on tons of Marvel comics, tons of DC comics, um, but he's got this incredible book, Molly Danger, um, that he publishes independently. And when I encountered Molly Danger, I wanted that book for my classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was like, oh, okay, so I'm writing this teacher book. Oh, I want to like collaborate with this guy. Uh -huh. um, and so, so that it came together. But you know, but the book stems from my love of comic books. Again, I was that kid that was in the culture consuming everything. Mm -hmm. um, the first, one of the first books that I ever read from cover to cover um, was Dwayne McDuffie's Hardware Number One. Mm -hmm. um, which is to this day is one of the greatest comics in, in my personal history. Um, and, and I read that book as a ninth grader, you know, so I was um, a little resistant to traditional reading. I was a huge consumer of nonfiction, but if you know anything about how school is set up, if you don't read the book that your teacher wants you to read, then you're not one of the good kids, of course. you know? And so, I, yeah, so I read tons of nonfiction. I used to really, really be into like technical manuals and, you know, um, historical stories and things like that. But um, but I picked up that book in ninth grade and it rocked my world. I mean, that book mm -hmm. is really about, you know, I've been about that book from the minute I read it. That book is about um, how we take our talents and and disrupt status quo. You know, mm -hmm. that it, it stars this character, Curtis Metcalf. He's an inventor, he's an engineer, um, but he discovers that this boss that he works for is involved in all this organized crime. And he uses his intelligence as an engineer to dismantle a criminal empire. And when wow. I read that book, I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, I, I wanna figure out how I can take all of my talents and all of my passions to disrupt things that like um, that aren't good for humanity. Um, mm -hmm. And so, really like my life has been, you know, chasing hardware in many ways. Um, but then, you know, one of the things that happens as you mature, you know, you, you come to the understanding that there are no superheroes. And I really um, am into this idea that, that this notion of wanting to be a superhero really, really, um, really kind of stymies us in so many other ways. And so one of the things that like, I definitely want my work to be grounded in reality. And I definitely want my work to be to be cognizant of my own flaws and cognizant of my own learning and cognizant of, of my own aspirations. And so, so kind of coming out of hardware and coming into, you know, my work in Brooklyn or my work in New York City in general or globally now um, has been really the story of falling in love with a superhero as a young person, um, you know, wanting to be a superhero as a young adult. Um, and then, you know, as a more clear-eyed, um, maturing adult, seeing the world for what it is and realizing that me is just enough. Mm. That's amazing. That's, wow. Yeah. Wow. And it's funny because I look at, I was never, I would, I would consider myself, I wouldn't consider myself, a, I, I, am a, I feel like I'm a reader now. Um, I wouldn't have considered myself a reader in school at all. I think it was partially because of that because there was just no text that I really truly like enjoyed or I even remember like I remember doing like The Outsiders I remember doing like I think we did one of the Harry Potter books in my um, sixth grade class but like nothing that I really enjoyed um, and then I remember as I got older I started to introduce the books that kind of looked like me a little bit they sounded like me a little bit and those are the ones that definitely kind of like oh maybe I would enjoy reading if I found the right books. And then it goes back to the same thing you said, like 
if those kids have books inside the classroom that they actually truly want to read for whatever reason, whether it's a comic book, um, whether it's like, um, like they're gonna read it. Like that's all it takes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, you know, I, that's what I've always been about. Yeah. yeah. Just that idea that like, you know, even as a teacher, you know, um, and it's kind of funny because, you know, people always like, oh, you know, like teaching, teaching, teaching. But, you know, even to this day, I contend that like, I'm not like the best teacher um, you know, when it comes to reading and writing, but like, I do believe that there are very few people who can sling books better than I can, you know, and that became, you know, my calling card, you know, the kids would come from all over the school, even kids that weren't in seventh grade, they would come to my classroom and be like, yo, I heard you got them books. And I'm like, yup, you know, and so, <laughs> and really like that became the thing that I was proudest of, you know, and I was really proud of my ability to meet any kid, listen to them. And then after listening to them and spending time with them for a while, be able to recommend books for them. And, you know, so I would put together like whole courses of study for kids. So kids would come and spend like, you know, 15 minutes talking to me and I'd be like, all right, I got you. We're going to start with this one. But then after you read this one, you got to read this one because that's going to help you out with this. But then you're going to read this one because you love dragons. And then mm -hmm. after this, like you got to get up off those dragons because you got to get into robots. And so then you got to read this. <laughs> and so kids would leave the room with like, you know, 15 books on deck to read. Mm -hmm. um, and there's nothing that excites me more than doing that work. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's like where it's at. The power of like an interest. Yeah right just yeah like you have to really and you have to have those relationships first like those kids have yeah. to be like vulnerable to allow you in on the things that they're interested in and at the same time trust you that you're going to be able to do it and i think it goes back to something you talked about in your book just like listening to kids and like even just having yeah. conversations um yeah. it's so important like just i think in your yeah. book you talk about um having like a class discussion or a class meeting like yeah just like it's it sounds like when you hear it, you're like, duh, but like you need to almost <laughs> get in the book and like then look at the structure. You're like, yeah, of course I should have a class meeting. And then on top of that, you have it laid out so teachers can do it right away. Um, it's just another powerful way of getting students to use their voice and then having you yeah. to almost just like stop talking <laughs> and listen. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's so interesting, you know, like um, I remember, um, there was a friend of mine that I was talking to. Um, I used to invite my friends to into my classroom, especially when I was a young teacher. Like when I wasn't good at stuff, mm -hmm. man, I would try to do anything to burn the time. And so I would like, <laughs> so like all of my friends, I would invite them to come and chill with me in my homeroom. And so like, I have, you know, I have friends who are artists and photographers and musicians. And so almost every day there would be some new person in my classroom. Cause I'm like, man, I'm not good at teaching yet. So I got to find a way to fill this day. And so I'd call my friend, let me call a photographer to come in and we're just gonna play around and make a bunch of pictures. Um, and uh, one of my friends, he's a DJ and he came in to visit. Um, just to kind of hang out with me and the kids one day. Um, and he left that day and he was like, yo, like, um, you know, those kids like would do anything for you. Um, and it was interesting because he even knew, he's like, you're not good at teaching. You're still new at this. Like, <laughs> how is it that you got there? Um, and, and it goes back to what you said, like, um, so, so not just relationships, you know, because often when we think about relationships, we think about the here and now, but I often think of how do I connect to kids aspirationally? Like, how do I connect to who they want to be? Mm -hmm. You know, so like, so you are who you are right now, but I want to tap into that person you want to be tomorrow, that person mm -hmm. you want to be next week or next year. And how do I put the things on your path to help you to become that person. Mm -hmm. So that's been a really powerful part of my pedagogy mm -hmm. um, yeah. is really listening in that way. And it, yeah. it, it, and it almost leads right into like your other, I think, I don't remember what chapter it is, but you talk about like working, I think it's like working for the kids or not for the, 
employee or for the school or something. And that's exactly yeah. what that is. Like you have a group of kids in front of you. And at the yeah. same time, you have this school system that has kind of tried to structure what your class should look like, which is fine. Yeah. But yeah. what are you doing for the people, the kids that are in front of you? They may not yeah. need exactly what the school is saying you need to be teaching right now. What are you doing yeah. to help that? Um, yeah, you know, one of the... It's so interesting, you know, like, um, actually, I see the last dragon, I mean, well, the Enter the Dragon poster behind you there, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, um, and, and I, I love that movie. I love Bruce Lee films. And, and, and I, strangely, the answer to that question comes, you know, in that, in Enter the Dragon specifically, you know, he goes to this tournament and the tournament is dirty. You know, mm -hmm. like, and and he realizes that to be a participant in this tournament means that he's part of the dirt. So he upsets the whole tournament. Exactly. Like him and two other participants, <laughs> like they they wreck the whole tournament. They're like, "F this, we're not going to be a part of this tournament." Um, and they kind of uncover this whole secret evil empire. And and I think that that's what several teachers are encountering in teaching. You know, we've entered the tournament and we realize that the tournament is dirty. You know, like, and so wow. when say that, yeah, say that again. Know, <laughs> yeah, you know that you know that you know you 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 go through college, you do your time, you do your student teaching, and then you realize you know you finally get your job at school, and you're like, no, the tournament is dirty, and not to say the school is dirty, but 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 school is one of many um, you know federal, state, local systems that has served over time to marginalize students, mm -hmm. you know, and so when I look at school as an institution. I think about all of the ways that school is complicit in racism, sexism, ableism, classism, you know, and how do I, again, labor to, to disrupt that system as a teacher and then give kids the discursive tools, the intellectual tools, the social tools to continue that work um, on their own as they enter different systems. Um, and so that's been really, really important to me. And so a lot of it is Bruce Lee's Enter the Dragon, where again, like this guy gets to the tournament, I'm just here trying to do my Kung Fu uh -huh. and, and this tournament, it what it said it is uh -huh. you know, like, you know uh -huh. and i think that uh -huh. that's really important yeah, yeah i find yeah I, I find a lot of stories that have that storyline at least can just yeah that idea is so powerful right and i think yeah. students have to come in feeling the same way like they need to be able to advocate for themselves like this is not working for me like i need something else yeah. because whatever you are doing right now yeah. is not what i want um, yeah, you know, one free. of the things that I'm very, very careful about is, you know, yes, kids need to be able to advocate for themselves. Um, but I think, you know, that's a bit of a panacea where mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, like um, that if the tournament ain't dirty, you will never have to advocate for yourself. Agree. So I want to crash the whole tournament. Agree. Like, you know, and so everybody's <laughs> like, you know, like, um, and so everybody's like, oh, but we need to build stronger kids. We need to build resilient kids. I'm like, how about we destroy all the caustic stuff that forces them to be resilient? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that, you know, people have all of this talk about grit or resilience and you only have to exercise grit when the task is a noxious task. And so everybody's like, oh, let's give the kids grit. Let's give the kids grit. I'm like, how about we remove the noxious thing? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that many, many times we give people these coping strategies and I don't want to give people coping strategies. I want to give people changing strategies mm -hmm. that, that to cope is to like deal with the thing that's trying to kill you. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to eradicate the thing that's trying to kill you. Mm -hmm. um, and so again, I want to be real Bruce Lee about it. I want to crash the whole tournament. I love know? that. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But it is, what yeah. is it like to be a dad? Oh man. Um, it's the best thing in the world and the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Um, like it is, it and is it's fantastic. Girls? I, 
Yeah, I have two girls. Um, yeah. um, they are the most amazing. I mean, well, everybody thinks that their kids are the most amazing kids on the planet. Um, but two girls, they, um, I've got a kindergartner and a, and a young one in pre-K. Um, and they're just like, it's really, really fun, man. Like, um, and, and actually, um, my, uh, my, my oldest daughter was born right after I left Singapore. So, oh wow! I, so I, I did um, some I did some time um, working with some of your teachers there, um, and my oldest daughter was born. I came back to the United States, um, but um, but uh, yeah, they're just incredible. Like um, I spend a lot of time figuring out what the hell is going on. You know, I think like, I, I think to be a dad is to be in a perpetual state of confusion. You know, like I don't know as much as their mom, you know, I'm not as smart as their mom. So I'm always like one step behind there. I'm not as smart as they are, you know, like, um, you know, and, and kids are just so smart in all the ways that we're not. I think one of the ways that the creator challenges us is they give us the kids that know how to push all of our buttons. And so my daughter is this fierce artist inventor. Um, and so I am all always trying to like figure out what she's inventing and she's always telling me the supplies that she needs and I'm just like you know and so there's that and then my other daughter is like fiercely independent she wants what she wants and so it's always a negotiation with her so like I mean she's four years old but already a lawyer and so I'm trying to figure out like, <laughs> like what's going on with this um, but you know then but then also reminding myself to enjoy it all you know mm -hmm. that, that. Mm -hmm. like what is it like raising two girls you know it's beautiful I think I mean I mean I, I know what I don't know you know I was really lucky you know because I'm an educator um, and I get the the flexible yearly schedule I was really lucky to be able to stay home with my daughter um, when she was born and so when my partner when she went back to work um, I was at home with the kid and 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 it was our first daughter so with our first daughter I'm at home with her um, and you know, and we're walking around Brooklyn, just like I'm introducing her to things. So, you know, we're, you know, and, and she's, I remember she used to cry all the time unless we were walking. And so I would put her in the baby carrier and I would leave my house and I would just start walking. And so my oldest daughter has seen every square like centimeter wow. of Brooklyn. Wow. Um, just because I spent her first like few months of life just walking all over the place. And, um, and, and I think, what is it like to raise girls? Like, um, I, I don't know if I can answer that question, mm -hmm. but but what it's like to be a human in charge of other humans, mm -hmm. um, in charge of their everything, in charge mm -hmm. of their food, in charge of their poop, in charge of their clothes. Um, that has been like really like, um, really cool. Like, I think it's been, it's the best class that I've ever taken, you know, that they continue to teach me things. Again, I remember even at that early age, you know, walking around Brooklyn, I remember um, I would just like put all their bottles in this cooler, like, you know, like my wife would pump. And so I would have like these like containers of breast milk frozen and I would have a cooler in my backpack and then I would just like take off and I don't own a car. So my daughter and I would just like walk around Brooklyn all day and she would nap in the baby carrier on me and then she'd wake up and need food so I'd have to look around and be like all right am I near a hotel and I would duck <laughs> into a hotel lobby and like feed her um and so I just remember like studying her cues and like the way that she would move or the way she would make sounds um okay this sound means she's about to get up or this the way that she's moving means that she's tired of like walking and she wants to rest a little bit or the way that she does this means that she's hot or means that she's too cold or means that she needs a hat and so really intensely studying a human and all of the ways that they're communicating because this human is nonverbal. And then I'm able to bring all of that into my work as a teacher, all of that into sure. my work, you know, with other teachers, because like that really taught me, okay, somebody might not say anything, 
but they might move in a specific way that communicates that they, they need something. Mm -hmm. Somebody might not, you know, say anything, but they might like, you know, hunch over in a way that communicates that they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I've got to respond to all of those things, mm -hmm. you know? And so I think, you know, what it's like to, to raise girls or what it's like to raise kids, I think that has meant, you know, it's, it, it, it's a lesson in perception for mm -hmm. me. Mm -hmm. that I've had to like learn to be more perceptive mm -hmm. um, and it's a lesson in sacrificing one's own desires um, for for the for the greater like communal good you mm -hmm. know and I think you know being a dad is like yo I just ordered some french fries and I'm trying to eat my french fries and my kids are all up in my plate and I'm like yeah so I can't get no french fries today you know <laughs> and um but 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 I think that that's so symbolic you're like all right so I'm sacrificing half my french fries for the communal good um but, you know, and, and then learning what that means as an educator um, mm -hmm. and how then you learn that sacrifice pays you back, mm -hmm. you know, so you give half your French fries to your kid and then, you know, and then she sits on your lap and you read stories together. And so mm -hmm. you're like, crap, I don't have my French fries, but I had this beautiful moment with my daughter to read uh -huh. the story. Uh -huh. um, and so like, that's been like a really cool thing. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have these humans that like experience life as you experience it, you know, and they learn the things that you learn, um, you know, that like my, you know, my daughter knows every like lyric for all the dopest hip hop songs in the 90s. And I just think that's cool, you know, that we spent the time together and she's learned all these songs, you know, like um, my um, my oldest, the two of us, um, I just got um, the Lego Voltron kit. Uh -huh. um, and we're uh -huh. building that, you know, and so it's wow. like a 2,500 piece Lego kit. And, you know, and she, you know, Voltron is from the 80s, you know, she don't even know about Voltron. But uh -huh. We're building that kit together, man. Like, it's just like really like fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Building those experiences, right? When I'm looking at, say, social media or in the news, a lot about women's rights and um, race and culture. Is there anything that you worry about? Like, I just actually told my wife today, like um, we were talking today, um, you know, um, the world ain't ready for us. You know, the world hasn't been ready for us ever. You know, the world wasn't ready for me as a black kid growing up in the 80s. You know, the world wasn't ready for you. Um, the world wasn't ready for my partner as a as a really fierce and independent woman growing up in the 80s you know and so one of the things that i'm always thinking about is how do we construct the systems that can accommodate and 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 and, and nurture our kids no matter who they are you know that when we think about sexism racism classism one of the things that i've continued to say in all of my scholarship is that that when we often kind of conflate things like racism or sexism or classism or ableism and we say we, we talk about these things as if they are personality traits and you know or where that person over there is sexist or that person over there is racist um and and one of the things that i've always contended is like that that racism classism sexism these things are not merely personality traits this is not about personal niceness being nice to people is not going to eradicate racism being nice to people is not going to eradicate sexism you know that these things are systems you know that these are the rules the practices the policies the procedures the customs that lead to unequal outcomes for specific subsets of people you know and so when i think about my daughters there are systems in place that are designed to you know to make sure that that women are marginalized you know there are systems in place designed to make sure that people of color are marginalized you know we talk about you know in the united states about the gender pay gap you know that is a form of sexism 
And that form of sexism does not exist because people are mean. That form of sexism exists because there are rules and policies and customs in place that ensure that women don't make the same as men. And so when I want to topple a system of sexism, it's not just about being nicer. It's about identifying the things in workplaces and governmental systems and tax structures that, that keep certain people, women in this example, from making what their male counterparts make. And so when I'm, you know, when I think about my own daughters, I think about all of those things. And, and that's why my work is so heavily invested in dismantling and disrupting the systems that marginalize people. Not just because it's gonna benefit my kids, but because it's gonna be benefit all of us. You know, the more people that have access us, the better off we all are, you know, and so that we've gotten used to certain people not having access and others having all the access is a really perverted way to move through the world. Mm -hmm. um, and so and so almost all of my work is about helping people to see that the way that things go ain't okay for so many groups of people, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, um, and so it, it's really actually, um, there's never been a more exciting time to be a dad. I mean, there's never been a more messed up time to be a dad, mm -hmm. um, but at the All same right. time, there's never been a more exciting time to be a dad, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I spend a lot of time at my kid's school. Um, I spend a lot of time in the neighborhood, you know, really um, helping people to see, you know, I live in Brooklyn and as much as I love Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn is um, a hotbed of racism. Brooklyn is a hotbed of sexism, you know, school segregation in Brooklyn, rampant. You know, mm -hmm. when we think about, um, you know, um, the amount of, of white privilege that people walk around Brooklyn with, you know, when you talk about like gentrification and residential segregation, all of those things are alive and well in my neighborhood. Um, and those things um, are things that, that you and me and, and my neighbors and your neighbors have the power to dismantle and disrupt. Mm -hmm. um, but, but before we can dismantle those things, we first got to learn how to see them. And mm -hmm. I think a, a huge part of my work is that so many people, both inside and outside of education, are blind to the myriad systems that continue to marginalize people. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you ask me what my concerns are as a dad, it's everything, man. I'm concerned mm -hmm. about ableism, racism, sexism. I'm mm -hmm. concerned about the fact that our gay and our lesbian and our bisexual and our transgender kids don't have the same access and rights that other kids have. Um, you know, because my daughter's world is that much richer when these barriers come down. And, you mm -hmm. know, so that's my everyday work, man. I'm just out here for the kids, you know. Wow. Like tank wow. <laughs> <laughs> Not even young. Let's just say there are parents listening and they have kids that are around your, the same age as your kids or younger or thinking about kids. Like, what do you do as a parent, um, regardless of whether their teacher's talking about these things? Because... Um, the odds are, it seems like in most systems right now, is that there may be a few teachers doing it, a few teachers not doing it, et cetera, school system thinking about it, whatever. What do parents do inside their household to kind of help with that, um, with those I mean, What do they do? And I think that goes, that goes back to who I am, literacy. You know, mm -hmm. I think that there are so many white parents who are racially illiterate. You know, there are so many, you know, dads that are gender illiterate, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think really the, the answer has always been like, get smarter, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, like, and here's the thing, you know, so many, you know, like, um, I, I was talking to a, a dad the other day, like, you know, Gary, if your toilet breaks in your apartment and you don't have the money to call a plumber, 
what are you going to do? You're going to go to the hardware store or buy a book and figure out how to fix your toilet. Right. Uh You know, and, and, you know, and so, or if you want to make a steak tonight and you don't know how to make a steak, you're going to go download a recipe and learn how to make the steak, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it really incenses me when people are like, Oh, well, I don't know how to talk about race. And I'm like, well, you downloaded a steak recipe, you bought a book to fix the toilet, so read up, you know, like, and I think that so that's true. the thing. I think so that true. people have a- accepted their own illiteracy when it comes to issues that matter. And mm-hmm. so people run around and they're like, oh, I don't know what to say about race. But I'm like, well, how did you figure out how to make that steak? You I, love that. That. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, you know, like, practical, like, yeah, like, of course, yeah. like, you can yeah. learn about everything else. Right. Exactly. And so people have this selective ignorance or they want people of color to do all the work for them. So like I somehow can't learn to talk about racism unless I call my black friend and I'm like, your black friend got two jobs and shit they got to work on. So like, don't waste their time. (laughs) You know, like, you know, you know, I think that so many times, you know, when people want to learn about sexism, they turn to women. When people want to learn about racism, they turn to people of color. And what happens is people of color and women end up doing all of this unpaid intellectual and emotional labor um, because of people's selective ignorance. You know, when you want to learn how to fix a toilet and you call a plumber, that person is going to charge you. Yeah. (laughs) And so, and so, and so buy the book and learn how to fix the toilet on your own. When you want to learn how to make a steak and you call a chef, that person's going to charge you. And so Mm -hmm. don't call me and expect me to learn about race for free, you know, like, or, you know, like, um, and, and it's really, really interesting how, you know, again, we, we value certain types of intellectual labor and we don't value other types of intellectual labor. Mm-hmm. You know, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, Ben Passmore has this book um, called Your Black Friend. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a really, really powerful, um, it's a little graphic novel. It's, um, it's a really powerful graphic novel. But he, again, he lays out some of this stuff. And I think it's really, really, um, you know, I have stopped accepting people's helplessness. Um, you know, that, that one of the hallmarks of my teaching is I'm all about student independence. So when a kid asks me a question, I'll answer it the first time. But then the second time they ask me a question, I'll say, so how can I work with you so that you develop the tools to answer that question on your own the next time? Mm. So what kind of tools do we need to have for you? You know, like, and so, so I'm all about independence in the classroom. And, and what's funny is I've started, you know, but I haven't always been about independence for adults. And so now I'm really working with the adults around me. And so when people come to me and they're like, oh my God, I don't know what to talk about when it comes to race. I'm like, there's a whole library and you got a library card, you know? (laughs) And and so, so we can do that, Um, you know, and, um, and that's really exciting for me. I think that, that we have to like really kind of push beyond this idea of helplessness. Mm-hmm. That, that, that so many people have accepted their own racial literacy and they've accepted their own racial helplessness, but they have not accepted that illiteracy or that helplessness in other areas. And we really have to ask the question why. You know, that, 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 that people are allowed to be illiterate about certain things is in and of itself a form of racism or sexism or classism or ableism. And so, um, so, so my advice to parents would be like, don't be illiterate. Like you can, you can read up and you can have conversations and you can form relationships. Um, but at the same time, don't expect the women in your life to do all the intellectual heavy lifting. Don't expect the people of color in your life to do all the emotional labor, um, you know, that people have to invest in their own um, proficiency. Mm-hmm. Wow. I read power of just researching or wanting to like 
just learn, right? Because again, they expect other yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. And all. ignorance isn't a bad thing. You know, I always want to remind people that I'm ignorant to lots of things, but mm -hmm. like, but willed ignorance is a bad thing. You sure. know, so um, big you difference. Know, and so yeah, so ignorance just means you don't know. But, you know, but I'm the proud carrier of a Brooklyn Public Library card. So, so if there's anything that I don't know, um, I can learn it. You can um, learn it. And I, yeah. And so, so again, there is absolutely nothing wrong with ignorance, but I 100% have a problem with willed ignorance. Wow. All right. I have maybe one more question for you. Okay. Sure. Um, and I may, I think I might know this answer since you're from Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always ask this question to everybody. Tupac or Biggie? Man, so, so uh, you got me out here. And since I'm on the record, <laughs> my 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 zip code compels me to answer Biggie. <laughs> but I will say it, that I you can split it. No, um, but I, but I do believe the whole Tupac Biggie is a false binary. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that, that I think that 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 you've got two incredible wordsmiths. Um, who who contributed so much to the culture? You know, when I think about my my stance as an intellectual, my stance as an intellectual is very much Tupac. Mm -hmm. um, that that the way that he would study his society, the way that he would study his community, the way that he would move through the world, the way that he had his full self on display. So so you you understand Tupac in terms of his you know his scholarship and his concern and his care for the community but you also understand through tupac you know through his rage and through his um you know insistence that society be just um and so so much of my scholarship and much of my um intellectualism comes from that model you know so when i think about who i am as a thinker um a lot of my framing even a lot of the ways that i would question the world i remember sitting in libraries with liner notes from tupac albums like studying how this man framed questions and how he like thought about the world you know i remember i cut school the day all eyes on me came out like i went to the record store um and came home and listened to that double album and that was all the education i needed for that day you know and so so yeah so very much tupac in terms of like how um my curiosity and how i see the world um but then very much biggie in terms of how i chronicle my experience you know that biggie had a clarity um, and a way of, of inviting people into his word space um, mm -hmm. and allowing those people to see through his eyes and see through his pen. And so very, very much like the way that I express myself, the way that I move through the world, my swag, I guess, is Biggie. You mm -hmm. know, so, so Tupac Biggie, I think, is a false binary. I agree. Um, I totally but, agree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but 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 I but I must say that that if I were if I were answering honestly, um, I would answer neither. My answer would be Wu Tang. So, Wu -Tang. But, I you know I think I knew that. I think I actually knew that. <laughs> when I think about who I have become, um, very much like Wu Tang Clan formed the blueprint for that. Like if there were no Wu Tang, there'd be no Cornelius. So, wow. Yeah. Wow, that is for another episode. I would love to <laughs> what that, like, what that looks like or where that came from. Man, you got to do your homework then, Gary. I know. I have a lot of homework. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, do. I do. Yeah. Cordelius, thank you yeah. so much. Oh, for sure. I know it's 
super late there. Um, I appreciate it. And again, where can people find you if they want to hit you up or find out some of the stuff you're doing? My blog at CassAndCorn.com. That's um, the blog that my partner and I keep. So again, it's K-A-S-S-A-N-D-C-O-R-N.com. Um, you can check out all the stuff that like my wife is doing, that my kids are doing, that I'm doing. You can find that there. Um, I'm on social media most often, so Twitter is my thing. I'm really still trying to get my Instagram swag going, um, but Twitter is my thing. So you can find me on Twitter, Mr. Minor, M-I-S-T-E-R-M-I-N-O-R. Um, or you can find me on Instagram, Cornelius Minor, my whole name, C-O-R-N-E-L-I-U-S-M-I-N-O-R. Or if you are from the five boroughs, you can find me in the streets. So Brooklyn, USA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cornelius yeah. is honestly yeah. very responsive. He, again, for me, someone who, I, the notifications are on. So when something, when you are posting or retweeting, like, I am seeing those all the time. And, I, and, and, and you know what? Not just because you reached or I reached out and you reached back to me, but like everything you're posting is, is so insightful. And I'm actually, I feel like there's like, it's like PD. Like I'm actually feel like I'm getting PD online for free. So I, again, I'm, I'm thankful for that. If, if you are not following him, please go ahead and do so. Um, and check out his book. So, um, so. very, very, yeah, lots of good stuff coming soon. Yeah. Like I got lots of podcasts out. So, um, so actually if you go to Heinemann, the publisher of the book, um, they, um, all my podcasts hit on Heinemann. So, so I'm on Gary's podcast, but you can also check me out on the Heinemann podcast. Um, if you haven't had a chance to check out the book yet, um, the first chapter is available for free online. I wanted to make sure that people have that. Um, lots of the materials and resources are also available for free online. You know, it is my belief that just because folks don't have money should not be a barrier to them having access to stuff. So if you go to the Heinemann website, Heinemann.com, you can download the resources for free. Um, um, I, I read, um, the, so the first portion of me reading the book is available for free online. So even if you don't want to read the book, oh, wow, I, didn't I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So that's available for free online. Um, so, you know, and again, like I'm a community guy, I'm here for the people. And so I, when, when I, when I put this project together, it was really important to me that people be able to access it regardless of how much money they have. Wow. And so, thank um, you. Cornelius, thank yes. you. I really, really appreciate it, man. All the best to you. Yes, yes you too. Sure. Thanks again. All right. Take care. Right, later.